Hey guys, this is Evan of the Lucky 10,000, welcoming you to Season 4, Badass Women from History. I can't wait for you guys to hear this season. I've got a lot of great guests and a lot of great topics. Tonight, we're starting with one of the cooler ones, a uh, female pirate I had never heard of. Empress of the Sea, they called her sometimes. And uh, my guest is season one co-host Carissa Sutherland. Now this season uh, was not, this one was not supposed to be the season premiere, but uh, through a confluence of events it is. And I just want to say how excited I am for this season and also thank all the people that helped out, all the great guests. And we did something special this year too. I decided to do this season about the subject because, uh, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the news in the past couple of years about uh, what women tend to go through on a daily basis and just in an effort to sort of celebrate uh, women and also help myself evolve, I decided this would be a great subject and so many people were so enthusiastic to help, not only guests, but what's special about this season is every episode is going to start uh, with an edited version of a song given to me by mostly local bands, all fronted by uh, women, uh, some of them really heavy hardcore bands, some of them singer-songwriter type stuff, uh, some of them friends, uh, mostly people I never met or knew. I just messaged them and asked if I could use their music, and 99% of them said yes. I even have you know, our normal vocal intro that's kind of that robotic text-to-speech thing. Well, a singer from one of the bands, Reason Define, was kind enough to actually record in her studio the uh, the spiel we usually do so you'll hear her voice every episode and eventually a song from their band as well which is an awesome song so and at the end of every episode you get to hear the song the uh, the song that you heard the edited version of at the beginning and end you get to hear that song in its entirety each episode so after the end hang out for just a second and you'll get to hear a different awesome song every episode no further delay, I seriously hope you enjoy Lucky 10,000 Season 4, Badass Women from History, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Welcome to the Lucky 10,000 Season 4 with your host, Evan. This season, Badass Women from History. Hey guys, this is Evan and welcome to the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than reconnecting with an old friend to talk about someone you've never heard of. But I'll get to why that's pertinent in a second. First, I just want to say the song you heard at the beginning of this episode was from a band called Your Chance to Die. The name of the song is Ignite the Sky. You will hear that song at the end of the episode proper. You'll hear the entire song, and please feel free to check them out. I also want to thank Paulina from Reason Define for doing our vocal track at the beginning there. And speaking of tracks, speaking of intros, well, before we get to that, 
I want to thank Podbean and Stitcher for hosting us, not to mention iTunes and all the other great sites that we have our podcast connected to. Um, this is a very special episode in our season four badass women from history because I have a badass woman on the line who's not quite history yet, but, um, she's also the first co-host of the Lucky 10,000 welcoming back to the fold, Carissa Sutherland. Carissa, how you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just like old times, (laughs) four years ago. And I knew I wanted to have Carissa Carissa back on the show, uh, especially because I knew that she had a lot of input on women that she found interesting or influenced her. What I didn't plan on was that she gave me basically a book to choose from when I asked her to pick a woman from history. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of those names were sort of people that it just gave you an excuse to research more about them because they interested you in some way. Is that correct? Uh, A lot of them. Some of them I knew about, at least in passing, because I've encountered them somewhere in studying or reading online. Yes, personally, we meet at the bar and hang out. All those, you know, civil rights leaders and World War II oh, yeah. badasses. We just chill. They're it's, still hanging out. It's cool. Uh, but no, I've come across their names or things that they were involved in. And I kind of like hearing about badass women from history. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and so they've just kind of been kicking around. And I figured I have a whole host of things I could at least research or talk about. So you get to pick one. Yeah, well, your list has actually provided a lot of help because I've sent it to a couple of people who haven't made their decision yet. And there's so many to choose from. I seriously doubt we'll have an overlap. But one of the things that I'm really excited about with this season, just like I am with any season, really, is that we get a good mix of people you have heard of and you haven't. Uh, I just recorded with Teddy and the Baseman a couple of days ago. I don't have this episode up yet because I don't know what order they'll be posted. But uh, we did an episode on Queen Elizabeth, which was awesome. Nice. You know, they are Anglophiles and they love, they love them monarchs. But, um, who hasn't heard of Queen Elizabeth? What's interesting is the first name on the list you gave me that really stuck out to me and I think might be the definition of a badass. What's more badass than a pirate? Hell yeah. And you sent me, uh, her name. We're going to try and, and say this as inoffensively as possible. <laughs> Jing Shi. Jing Shi. Ching Chi. That's what I'm going with. Z H E N G S H I. And she was a pirate, an Asian pirate. A a Chinese pirate specifically. I'm sorry, say that again? A Chinese pirate specifically. Chinese pirate. Yes, we want to be as specific as possible. So, Carissa, A, how did you know about her to begin with? I think the first time I heard about her was uh, just a random screenshot of a post from Tumblr. Okay. That basically just gave the super high-level overview of why she was a badass. Yeah. And it's basically because she was a fucking hardcore Chinese pirate. And one of the most successful pirates, uh, pirate queens, she's the most successful pirate queen for sure, but one of the most successful pirate captains of all time. Yeah, and it's interesting because when people think of pirates, obviously we have the stereotypical view of a pirate and we have that sort of romanticized view of a pirate. As with most things, the real history isn't nearly as interesting. A, pirates 
did not last that long. They weren't pirating the high seas for that long. Am right. I am I wrong about that? No, I mean pirating in general has been around and is still around. Right. Not just like the, the romantic movie view. Yeah, of you know the South Caribbean pirates. Yeah. Those were a relatively limited time span because that's when the East India Trading Company was big and when right. you could actually make the money. You know, there was the who was it that robbed banks because that's where the money was? Jesse James. Was it Jesse James? Maybe some bank robber was once asked, "Why do you rob banks?" And he's like, "That's where the money is," and because so. It's- that made sense for pirates. All the yeah. money, all the trade goods, all the spices, all the silk, all the things that were worth anything uh, right. became really huge when the East India Trading Company got its big start. So that just made sense well, if you were living a life of some sort of, you know, nefarious crime syndicate. <laughs> that's when that happened. It, it feels like easy pickings because yeah. here you are on the high seas. Who's going to chase you? Who's going to catch you? You come across a ship with something on it that you want. Why not take it? It's not like today where they could GPS you or have a satellite track you or something like that. You know, I think for their for the high point in the history of pirates, it was relatively difficult to find them and catch them. But then there's certainly the pirates that we've all heard of, you know, the black beards and things like that. But you don't hear a lot about female pirates, especially successful female pirates. So what's what's her biography? What do you know about her biographically? Well, she was just a poor Chinese girl in the late 1700s. And she it's became... It's a Tom Wayne song, actually. What? Well, Chinese girl <laughs> comes a pirate. I, I would listen to that song. Yeah, I would too. So she was born in 1775, and she became a a prostitute. Okay. Because that's what a lot of poor girls did, kind of throughout history. I mean, that's what I aspire to be. I know, right? She worked on a floating brothel in Guangzhou, and apparently she was very enamored, or the pirate Captain Cheng. Mm-hmm. Was very enamored of her. Okay, she was his favorite. Now, was she forced into prostitution, or was it a choice? Doesn't say. Like, there's okay. not really anything that indicates why she did it. But like, she was a poor girl in the late 1700s. Yeah, she probably didn't think she had many options. There, there weren't many. I mean, right. so it doesn't. I haven't really found anything that explains her early life circumstances, other than the fact that she was a prostitute on this floating brothel. Right. But at some point, while she was a prostitute on this floating brothel, at around age 25, she married this notorious pirate named Cheng. Okay. And Cheng was, at that point, already a very successful pirate captain. There is a little bit of discussion to be had about why they actually got married or how that came about. That hit me. I'd love to know. So Cheng was had pirate roots. Like his family, his father and his father's father and his father's father's father, they were all pirates. Right. So while some say that the reason that Cheng wanted to marry 
the girl, Shi Yang at the time, who would become Ching Shi, was that he was infatuated with her and he wanted to marry her. And some think that he liked her, he respected her. She was clearly an intelligent woman, as we will talk about in a moment. But that Cheng himself was either gay or bisexual and had a lover. Interesting. And needed or wanted a beard. And you would think also that's part of pirate lore that people don't really talk about, but it had to have been prevalent. Absolutely. Not only the fact that usually you're on a ship with just men uh, for months at a time, but also you have this lifestyle that's, you know, fuck propriety. I don't give a shit what people think of me. If I want to fuck a dude, I'll fuck a dude. And that had to happen more often than we're told. I mean, absolutely. Yes, that had to happen more often than we're told. That's just kind of a fact of history. There have you been know, gay people forever. People are losing their teeth. I yeah. mean, you don't have to worry about biting. <laughs> but whatever the reason for them getting married was, however they worked that out, whether it was love or money or just an agreement between the two, she agreed to lend her powers of intrigue, which apparently she had. Now, from what you know of her, was she sort of a renowned beauty? Was she unusual in in, in her, her look or her attitude? You, know, you mentioned that he could tell she was very intelligent. I mean, given how her the rest of her story goes, it is clear that she was very intelligent. Right. Uh, and the way that this started was that he wanted her to marry him and she agreed to marry him, but had several conditions that he was happy to meet to get her to marry him. So whatever his reasoning for this was, it was enough that he was willing to grant her 50% control over his entire pirate empire. Wow. Which at the time wasn't gigantic, but successful. Like it was a notable pirate empire at that point. And I would think for a captain to, to, give 50% of that hard-earned booty to his a woman in general yes. would, would be unusual. Yes, very unusual. And so that in and of itself, just the fact that that decision was made indicates something about her that isn't explicitly stated anywhere right. that I could find. Does but, it say anything about how his crew felt about her? Not when they got married. Okay. However, not too long after they got married, uh, six years, in 1807, uh, her husband, Cheng, died. So, Cheng died in Vietnam during a storm, effectively. Okay. Uh, They were in Vietnam, and a storm came up, blew him overboard. Okay. That makes sense. So now, she who had been previously had 50% ownership found herself in command. Wow. Now, prior to this, they had adopted, done an adult adoption, which was and is still very common in China, for his second in command. And his second in command was Chung Po. Okay. So they got married. She was as much a pirate as he was. She Mm -hmm. apparently had a lot of knowledge of intrigue and was able to help him strategize 
And then they adopted his second in command, Chung Po, as an adult and made him Chang's legal heir. Okay. Because technically she couldn't inherit. Right. Like he, at that point, Chung Po was kind of her business beard Mm -hmm. because he was her husband's adopted son. So he legally inherited, but she actually had control. It's also interesting how deep misogyny goes. You don't really have any rules or laws you have to abide by. You can make up your own. We're fucking pirates, man. Fuck a dude. I don't care. Woman rule. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we'll we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Okay. So they adopted Chung Po. However, this is how... However, it is stated in some places that it is possible that Chung Po was not just Chang's right-hand man and was not just Uh, the legal heir and was, in fact, his lover. The bottom. Or Or cop. (laughs) Guys in charge, they love to have that responsibility taken away in the bedroom. You know? So they adopted this guy, and whatever the situation was, it appears just kind of implicitly, nothing ever... stated for sure just implicitly she knew she like she knew whatever there was to know she knew it right so if they were lovers she knew that if he adopted him to have like basically an inherited heir that was part of his life she knew she knew all of that and she was aware she wasn't being blindsided It, it seems that all of this was if not at her machination at least with her full understanding and consent of all of it. She was absolutely complicit, yeah. Yes. So, they had this adult son. Then Chang died, and she became the leader. She maneuvered her way into the leadership position. So, she got rivals of her former husband, her late husband, to recognize Mm -hmm. her status. She wow. brought them under her wing and she solidified partnerships and she made sure that her authority was recognized by both the people under her husband. And, and so at this point, her reputation must have been pretty rock solid. Yeah, if she could absolutely. Absolutely. She then married her husband's adopted son slash potential former lover. Right. So they have, they are then together. So, what pronouns did they use? That's the most important thing to know. No idea. No idea. So she went. She reached out to her late husband's powerful family members because, again, they had a kind of a dynasty of piracy. Yeah, and brought them in. So, like his nephew and his cousin and his cousin's son, or something. And she kind of reached out to all the fleet captains' loyalties to her husband, and she just made herself essential to them Mm -hmm. by bringing them together. So when, because she was a woman, even though she pretty quickly was absolutely in control, Mm -hmm. this was her pirate fleet, (laughs) because she was a woman, she needed a man to be able to say stuff and do things... Right. That people wouldn't listen to a woman having said. So he was her mouthpiece. The adopted son, now her husband, Yes, becomes her mouthpiece. Correct. So she was the, he was rather, the official captain of the fleet, 
but he owed his loyalty to her. Right. So she was like the emperor of this fleet and he was the governor. Right. Now, you keep talking about pirates, how they have this like kind of laissez-faire attitude, this we do what we want and we we are pirates sort of attitude. They actually had a very strict code. I mean, they allude to that in like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but that's relatively true. You can't have harmonious life aboard a ship with only these 20 to 100 dudes if it's just chaos. So it was Mm -hmm. pretty heavily rate. It was almost like its own military in terms of having the rules. And that's kind of true throughout all of piracy, throughout all of history. The rules might be different for every fleet or every ship, but there were always rules. Hers were very strictly (laughs) maintained. The code that she had that her adopted stepson slash husband's former lover slash new partner, (laughs) Chung Po. Former roommate. Exactly. The official captain of the fleet, he gave this proclamation about this code being, and it was very strict. And there were four basic rules. Anyone who gave their own orders that didn't come down from the top or disobeyed the orders of a superior was beheaded on the spot. Nice. No question. Just like, oh, you think you can give orders? No, no head anymore. Somebody else takes your place. I mean, it was very Darth Vader-ish. Like, it was fucking, oh, sure. What did you say? Head off. That was it. Uh, nobody could steal from the public fund or any villagers that supplied them. So if they had Friendly Harbor, you could not steal from them. Right. If they had a communal take, you could not take from that communal take. And it was basically, okay. say she had, let's say she had more than this, but for this example, she had 10 ships. If one ship would go plunder some booty, mm-hmm. that ship would take 20% of what was plundered. They mm. That ship would get 20% of the total. The rest was placed into the public fund that would be split among the whole fleet. Okay. So if anybody took any part of that other 80%, uh, they were, I think, the first time they were whipped and the second time they were killed. And the third time they were cursed and were skeletal. In the <laughs> yes, correct. And, yeah. Uh, That's so, historically accurate, right? Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah. So you couldn't give your own orders or disobey or you'd be beheaded. You could not steal right. from the public fund or any supplying village. The third one was basically any goods that were taken had to be presented for group inspection. So you had to take it I to just the really cursor. It's I what? just really hope that the parameters were clearly laid out. Yes, and There's, apparently they were. out with somebody who's slightly above you, and they're like, hey, can you pass me that broom? And you're like, no, I can't. Re- and your head comes off. I don't think it was quite that strict. <laughs> One would hope not. Uh, anything that was taken had to be presented so that the original Caesar could take its 20% and the other 80% could go to the public fund. That was the third one. And mm-hmm. all the actual money was given over and then the Caesar's portion would go back to the originator. Mm. So even if you were going to collect your 20% for being the ship that took this bounty, you had to give all of it to the fleet leader or the squadron leader. They would go through it and give you back your 20%. So if you didn't do that, if you took your 20% first, you have been stolen. Even technically, 
if you're taking exactly what you would have gotten back because Correct. you don't follow the exact protocol, you're fucked. Correct. Okay. Ching Shi added special rules for female captives. Um, standard practice apparently was to release women that were taken captive. Mm-hmm. But often the pirates would make their most beautiful captives, their concubines or their wives. They would take them for themselves. Ching Shi brought up a new part of this code that if a pirate took a wife, he had to be faithful to her. Mm. Now, I'm like, guessing these women were not willing wives. In uh, a lot t- of typically, no. But they were under her rule. They did have to be treated like wives. Like, they had to be treated well. Interesting. The ones, the, the any women that were deemed unattractive or that weren't wanted were released. Any remaining who did not become concubines or wives were ransomed to the people who would want them back. Or of equal rights in its infancy. Yeah, kind of. Look, we know you don't want to be here, but we can make sure you don't get raped. Yeah, and pirates that raped any female captives were put to death immediately. Okay. If pirates had consensual sex with a captive, the pirate was beheaded, and the woman was thrown over the side of the boat with cannonballs attached to her legs. Okay, you know, harsh, sure, I've got no second half to that sentence. Yeah, I mean, it was harsh because, I mean, you had to keep order. Right. She. It was very clear that she didn't just want hot girls stolen and then pass around the ship. So you could take a captive as long as you didn't do anything with her. Yeah. If you then got her to marry you, then you could have the sex as long as you treated her all right. Correct. If it was consensual. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. So they had the... The Red Flag Fleet is the name of the fleet that Ching Shi ruled over. Do you know and how many ships were in the fleet? At its height was 300 ships. Wow. Which was twenty to 40,000 individual pirates. Wow. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. And so I'm sure a lot of these other ships and a lot of these other pirates, she became just sort of legend. Yeah. Like I'm sure a lot of them never even met her or saw her. Probably not. That's interesting. They probably didn't because I don't know of any time when all 300 ships were together. There were several large battles where many of the ships, like a majority of the ships were there, but I don't, I could be wrong, but I have not seen anything, even of the large battles that they partook in, I didn't see anything indicated all of them were there. Well, it'd be like being a lowly TIE fighter pilot on the Death Star. You hear a lot about Darth Vader, you get your orders from him, but you probably never see him. Yeah, exactly. They they took at some point during her run between 1807 to 1810, which was not very long for her to have been as successful as she was. And they were very successful. Super, super de-duper successful. Mm -hmm. Some sources say, like, the number that I gave you of the ships, 300 ships, 20 to 40,000 pirates, that was from Wikipedia. That's like their thing. But there are sources that I have seen that indicate she had uh, over 70,000 men. Wow. And some say that she commanded 1,800 ships. And now this is all under the guise of her now husband being in charge, but everybody knew who was really running the show. Uh, Yeah, everybody knew it was her. Everybody who mattered knew it was her. Yeah. She was so successful that the Chinese government very stringently tried to get her taken down, quote unquote. Uh, they hired bounty hunters from Britain. They had their whole navy out trying to find her. They did skirmishes and battles to try to bring her down and n- couldn't. 
they couldn't touch her. So now, did all the ships bear like the markings? Because you know, there's this idea that pirates kind of keep themselves pretty well hidden until it's time to rush in, and then they raise the flag to let their enemy know, "Oh fuck, we're fucked." But were they with that many ships? Did they all? Did they have identifiers? Yeah, they were the red flag fleet. They flew the red flag. There wow. were smaller, I think, smaller sub fleets in, that were covered by the fleet that were um, like there was the black flag fleet, right? Uh, the, the, which is the only other one I know about. Pirated by Henry Rob- Rollins, yes, <laughs> right. And they did fly their flags. I think that the the kind of sense we have in our minds from like our Western upbringing is the kind of more Caribbean sort of pirates, the Spanish main kind, the pseudo European pirates, the, the ones from pirates of the Caribbean. Like That's right. kind of the shit that we think about, but there was a very kind of any naval empire or entity has its own brand of piracy throughout history. So they were, Chinese pirates, they had a different culture than what we think of when we think of piracy. piracy. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they all flew the red flag or the black flag or whatever flag would have qualified, but definitely for hers was the red flag. Well, and as we always say, we are not superior enough in our knowledge to say we get everything 100% right. If you know more about the subject and you just want to correct something that, that we have said, please email us, uh, lucky10,000 at gmail. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know more than I have found out. Yeah, me too. Uh, so while when she married Ching to begin with, um, he had 200 ships. They together over the next six years got the ships up to whatever its kind of large-ish number was, between three and 600, the numbers are different. Right. Uh, later, after Qing died and Cheng took over, it might have grown up to seventeen to 1,800 ships, up to 80,000 individual pirates. They, I think the difference is that here's, I'm actually looking at it now. Okay. Most of the ships of that number, 17 to 1800 of them, were in the actual red flag fleet, but many of them had subordinate commanders who were right. black, white, blue, yellow, and green. Okay. So they had their own flags that they would fly and they had their own captains that they would follow, but they were subordinate ultimately to her. Right. And the Qing dynasty, which was the dynasty at the time, they were their biggest thorn. Because they were collecting taxes effectively from cities that were not paying taxes to the government because they were paying taxes to the pirates, <laughs> which is effectively what they did, which means that they were draining government coffers for that, which obviously it's the government. They can't tolerate that. It's the mafia. Yes. It was a little bit of money for protection. Pretty much exactly. And they did largely protect them because, again, it, there was a rule that you couldn't fuck with the people who were providing supplies. Right. So, they kind of did, but the emperor was very not pleased. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. (laughs) At some point, the emperor sent out a fleet specifically designed to destroy her red flag fleet. Wow. And Ching was like, um, nah, and just annihilated them. (laughs) I mean, they so she were. She was a really good tactician as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said that she clearly had something because mm-hmm. 
her her strategy and her tactics saw her f- ever growing fleet through battle after battle and they evaded capture and they evaded bounty hunters they ransomed two english army or navy dudes who went out to catch them like they were supremely good at what they did during this one fight after the emperor sent out his fleet to destroy them she captured 63 of their ships wow which was more than she lost now was she the take no prisoners type like if you're on the fucking government ship attacking us you're fucked uh and certainly they didn't have enough they couldn't take everybody on board anyway no they did ransom like that was common relatively common that they would take the prisoners of the ships that they captured or the towns that they raided or whatever and they would ransom them off so there are first-hand accounts from two european navy men who were captured by her fleet and ransomed now here's where the um, men rewriting history part comes in those accounts don't mention her at all Hmm. Except in very, very vague terms. I believe that one of the accounts mentions the, I want to say they called her the the Empress of the Fleet, the Fleet's Empress, something. Never by name. Right. And they referenced her fleet captain, her stepson, mm-hmm. partner, husband's former lover, or whatever. They mentioned him by name because he was her mouthpiece. Right. And then they just kind of twice, I think, just allude to her yeah. as the one really in charge. But they don't actually name her. They never really say that it was her pulling this. She was very much back. There was a man there telling us what to do and telling us why he took us. A woman was behind him. And every time right before he told us anything, she would whisper into his ear. But we were pretty sure she was telling him recipes. Yeah, kind of. So she's just kind of not mentioned in the official record of those captures, Hmm. except very vaguely. (laughs) And I would imagine it's a real bruise to the ego to be captured at all. But to know that your captors are ruled by a woman... It just sort of drives that nail in a little deeper. Yeah, kind of. Oh, Richard Glasspool, who was the, I believe, British guy that they took prisoner for like 50 days or something, uh, called her the chief's wife. Oh. <laughs> like, and oh, the chieftainess. That's what they called her, the chieftainess. Okay. But that's it. Just the chieftainess. And everything else by name is is Cheng Pao. Right. So, I found that really interesting is that it just writes her out of that history entirely. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because we suck. <laughs> uh, so she does all this work and she grows this fleet to just gigantic proportions. And she wins battle after battle against the Chinese Navy and the British bounty hunters. And she's ransoming Dutch people. And she's she's just doing all kinds of shit. She's the Portuguese hate her and the Dutch hate her and the British hate her and China hates her. Dutch people and you're trying to sell them off. And then somebody tells you they want to go Dutch. What do you do? (laughs) You let them. Okay. Uh, So all good things must come to an end. So before we get to the end of Ching, Shi's piracy legacy. I'm guessing. I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. It wasn't a, you know what? I've had enough fun laying down my sword. Going to live a life of peace in a cabin. You think it wasn't that? 
I think it was not that. You think wrong. Ooh. What happened was, finally, <laughs> a coalition of Portuguese, Chinese, and British, I think, ships came together and very strongly went against her mm-hmm. in, this, in what became known as Battle of the Tiger's Mouth. Ooh, nice name. So her and her most of her fleets of most of her fleet of ships came up against a ton a ton of portuguese i think Chinese, the correct term is metric fuckton a metric fuckton of ships and they the official navies trapped the pirate fleet in the river so they were just stuck and yeah. they basically laid siege to the red flag fleet inside the river the way that you used to lay siege to castles. They just surround it. They couldn't get in. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get out. Uh, There were 300... I guess here's what it says. Chung Po, her partner, took his entire fleet at the time. But this just says over 300 ships. So that may not include all of the subsidiary fleets. Right. It may just be the main brunt of the red flag fleet. Uh, 1,500 guns, 20,000 men, they went to a Portuguese flotilla and they were going to fight these Chinese and Portuguese navies. The emperor has recently offered an amnesty to any and all pirates who accepted the authority of the Qing dynasty. They have refused because they're like, uh, no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need your fucking amnesty. We're totally good. We're doing all right. Yeah. We're- we're fine. We don't need you. You can take that and shove it and see you later. But they were wrong because uh, yeah, sounds like it. They mobil- the Chinese and Portu- Portuguese navies mobilized enough forces that they absolutely did finally after two weeks of being blockaded in the river say, okay, okay, we'll surrender. <laughs> so what apparently happened was that after the the end of those two weeks, Chung Po messaged the commander of the Portuguese Navy and said, bring me an emissary, we'll surrender. But the commander himself, who was being kind of a mediator between China and the pirates, he was like, no, I'll come aboard myself. I will personally get on a tiny boat, float over to your 300 ships and come onto your ship with you, just me, and we'll talk about it man to man, basically. And Chung Po was apparently very impressed. I imagine Cheng Shi was also very impressed. (laughs) At the confidence that he displayed. He's like, no, my balls are big. I'll come onto your ship. It's fine. And he's like, man, you got some big ass balls. (laughs) He's like, wait, I got to throw them over the side first to climb up. So what happens is that they kind of go through this blockade. They decide that they're defeated and they sign a peace treaty. And they agree to submit to the Chinese emperor. And what happens is that Chengxi goes to meet with the Chinese emperor and says, hey, we'll do this. We will bend knee, but you absolutely have to grant amnesty to all of the men under me. All of them. Every last one. Now, why would the emperor feel compelled to do that? Because at that point, they know they're outnumbered and outgunned. He could simply say, no, fucking kill them all. Um, because that's a lot of men. It's, it's a lot. I mean, between seventeen and 80,000 people 
Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of people. And if you're like, yeah. and, and not all of them were like pirate men manning ships. Some of them were the wives and children of those men. They were a part of the larger family. And what she does instead of just being like, okay, we give up is she spends like months bargaining with the government. They like kind of go right. back and forth on a negotiated contract on the whole thing. And the, at the end of it, she agrees to retire, is granted amnesty for all of her men and their families. They give her a huge chunk of cash. They make uh, Ching Pao a lieutenant in the Navy, in the official Chinese Navy. And basically, he then turns around and is like, oh, cool, I have, co I have command of some of this Navy. Let's go kill all of our old pirate rivals, since I know where they all are. Ah. <laughs> so to them, that was a good deal, because they, they pardon some pirates, and then they get to kill a lot of other pirates. Right. And then it's after just like she, today when the FBI makes a deal with someone who turns state's evidence. It, almost exactly like that, except if in this case, state's evidence is a bounty hunter with legal authority to kill the people that they're finding. Right. So, and they still get to sail the seas and kill and have fun. It's a win-win. Exactly. Exactly. And she got um, a bunch of money, the amnesty. She got, I think, a little bit of land. And she opened up a brothel and a gambling den and became a mistress of a brothel and then died like happily lived out the rest of her life as a gambling house and madam and then died in like 1869 or something do you know if there's any movies or anything like that about her she actually makes kind of an appearance in the pirates of the caribbean movies she's mistress Jane, i was wondering because the, there is that one yeah. woman she's one I don't of the nine pirate lords name. so yeah they did call her up by name didn't they it's been such a long time since i've seen that third movie yeah, I kind of didn't remember either. But yes, she is Mistress Ching, one of the nine pirate lords. She is presented there. Apparently, uh, there might be a movie coming out. Well, that would be cool. Oh, and I was wrong. She didn't die in, in 1869. She died in 1844 at the age of 69. Oh, well, at least 69 was in there somewhere. Yeah, if you're going to have a brothel, it has to be, <laughs> it has to be a good, uh, big point. Uh, basically, she just was one of the most hyper-successful pirates on the open ocean. And I think, yes, here it is. There is a TV movie named The Queen of Canton, who might, which I think is supposed to be coming out, if it hasn't already, about her. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. That's very cool. Yeah, so basically, she was fucking badass. She was yeah. super smart, apparently pretty enough to be at least a moderately successful prostitute. Sure. Uh, negotiated a 50-50 marriage with a pirate king. He died, became the pirate queen, advanced her empire in that way, got everybody really rich and awesome, and then set them all free. That's amazing. <laughs> and then what lived out the rest of her days as a madam in a gambling house owner. Like, fucking... Do you think she's one of history's lesser knowns because she's a woman? Uh, like, I don't know. I think she's... Lesser known here because we don't really have a very rich history of understanding Asian piracy. Well, or anyone other than our own. <laughs> yeah, like our pirate romance is about the South Caribbean, and that's not Chinese piracy. That's right. Caribbean piracy. So, no, I don't know that it's because she's a woman. I know that some of it is because like the firsthand accounts of her from a Western perspective leave her out entirely or almost entirely. Right. So from a Western perspective, she kind of didn't really exist. Right. 
but people do know of her like she is there's there are facts about her so i think that some of it, it her legend lived on correctly or at least somewhat correctly in china because she was well i mean she commanded 17 to 80,000 men right <laughs> people knew who she was and well, I think that now that we're slightly more global, we can access those historical records and that information that's been passed down in places where we aren't. So absolutely. our exposure to her in the West was nothing, but she was not an unknown at the time. So while our our details are a little fuzzy, like we don't have any idea where she was prior right. to being a prostitute on a floating brothel. Like there's just none of that information. Right. We do know basically where she was after that. But I think well, yeah, some of it is because she was a woman. And you that's just not common. Being a pirate queen is not a common thing. Well, hopefully she'll become a little bit more known in the Western world once the tens of people who hear this episode <laughs> uh, hear it and enjoy it. So, uh, Carissa, thank you for bringing her to the show. That's fascinating. My pleasure. I'm going to look uh, uh, into her more myself. And again, if there's anything you want to add to the conversation, please, lucky10,000 at Gmail. Um, Carissa, is there anything you want to say about yourself? Any way that people might want to get in touch with you? Anything you have, maybe a stream or something that people could watch? Hmm. Sadly, no. I used to, but oh. now I'm boring. Because <laughs> real life is a stupid well, thing. Thank God for your boringness. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had time to research Jing Shi. You're right. There's there's a silver lining of being boring. Absolutely. As far as the Lucky 10,000 is concerned, uh, if you want to, you can look us up and give us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. We will read it on the air. Our Facebook group page is Lucky 10,000. Our Twitter, Lucky underscore 10K. And again, our Gmail, send us comments, questions, stuff you want to hear us talk about in the future. Lucky 10,000 at Gmail. Carissa, it's been awesome having you back on the show. You know I always love being with you. I know. Just not in the way I want you to be. <laughs> oh, that got weird. Things got weird. Anyway, thanks so much. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. I hope you guys have enjoyed this show, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.